Well, we're going to be looking this morning in Romans chapter 2. If you want to take your Bibles and turn there, we'll have the Scripture on the screen for you as we go. But before we look at the text, it's been quite a week, hasn't it? This week in America, man mails bombs to political leaders across the country. Another man tries to enter a, a black church and ends up killing... The church was locked, and he ended up killing two black men at a, at a nearby Kroger. Just yesterday, man opens fire in a synagogue, kills 10 or 11 Jews gathered there for worship, as well as some police officers. And His statement was, all Jews must die. This week alone, 16,000 babies were aborted. Their lives snuffed out before they were ever born. What is truth? And does it really matter? Does it really matter what we believe? All these people believed something, didn't they? You work with people, you, you live near people that believe certain things about the reality of our lives. It's time for, time for the quiz. You ready? Everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. True or false? If you were here last week, don't answer the question. True or false? False. Okay, good. When asked by Ligonier Ministries to respond to that statement, however, 52% of evangelicals, people like you and me, agreed and said it was true. How about this one? Even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. True or false? Again, when asked to respond to that statement, not this is not evangelicals now, Americans in general, 69% of Americans as a whole disagree. Last question. You're doing good. Two for three. Don't blow it. God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. True or false? False. Y'all are, y'all are, y'all are better than the average. An alarming 51%, again, of evangelicals, Christians, professing Christians at least, agreed. Does truth really matter? Does it really matter what we believe about mankind and sin and the holiness of God and the wrath of God and the gospel of God, which is the theme of the book we're in these days in Romans? You bet it does, but sadly, it seems that popular song lyrics are having a more profound impact on the theology of the church in America as well as the nation than the Bible. We referred to this last week, Luke Bryan's recent hit, I Believe Most People Are Good, captures what the majority, even of professing believers, believe. It says, I believe this world ain't half as bad as it looks. I believe most people are good. How do you listen to the news and believe that? You see, according to the Word of God, it's, it's a great song. It's a catchy song, fun tune, feel-good country music. 
It just ain't so. As we continue our study of the book of Romans this morning, we're looking at this letter under the heading, The Gospel of the Righteousness of God. What's the book of Romans all about? It's about the gospel, specifically the gospel of the righteousness of God. And this morning, we continue to consider a difficult but foundational and crucial truth concerning this gospel, namely the righteous wrath of of God. We're in part two of this section, and we'll be looking this morning at Romans 2, verses 1 through 10. Here's the take-home truth. It's the same thing it was last week. It'll be the same thing for the next several weeks. Every person is deservingly under the righteous wrath of God, apart from faith, in the gospel of God. See, what's critical and what Paul's point is from Romans 1.18 to Romans 3, verse 20, and it's critical What's foundational to everything we ever say about the gospel of God is the reality that you understand how bad reality is apart from Jesus for you and for me and for everyone on the planet. And so Paul gives that whole section to talk about the righteous wrath of God. And you have to understand and be convinced of the truth that every person is deservingly under the righteous wrath of God if you're going to then understand the gospel and our mission with the gospel, the Great Commission, appropriately. And so we continue this morning. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Just in case you get uh, are tempted to kind of nod off during this, would you stand with me as we read these 10 verses? Actually, we're going to read the first, excuse me, the first 16 verses. Romans 2, verses 1 through 16. Paul says, he, he turns the corner here. We'll see the, more about the corner in a, in a little bit. But he says, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impotent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also for the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all have sinned without, excuse me, for all who have sinned without the law will perish also without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not by the have, who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, 
God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. You may be seated. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Powerful section of scripture, is it not? Sober, somber words spoken of the righteous wrath of God. Now, in the previous section, in, in Romans 1, 18 to 32, Paul is addressing primarily the pagan world, the Gentiles. This morning's passage is, is focused primarily on the self-righteous and hypocritical moralist, whether that person be a Gentile or a Jew. Some see this discussion beginning in chapter 2, verse 1, as, as, as focusing specifically on the Jews. I don't think that's the case. I think it's a transitional passage where he's been talking about the Gentiles only, Romans 1, 18 to 32. And beginning in Romans 2, 17, he'll be talking about the Jews only. But right in the middle is this group of self-righteous people who can be Jews or Gentiles. Amen. You can be self-righteous and be on either side of the, uh, of the deal, right? And the reality in his day was there was a, a contemporary of Paul, a, a guy you may have heard of, a Roman, uh, there in the city of Rome, a guy named Seneca. He was a Stoic philosopher, and he was a very moral man. And, it was, and yet he was a hypocrite because while he was moral on many fronts, on other levels he was corrupt and sinful, And so I believe Paul is addressing the self-righteous and hypocritical moralist. Again, every person is deservingly under the righteous wrath of God apart from faith in the gospel of God. It's not just the Gentiles that we've already talked about. It's not just the out-and-out pagans who do all sorts of things. It's not just those who, are, who, who bow down and worship actual idols, chapter 1, verse 19, 20, 21, right in there. It's not just those who are sexually immoral, specifically those who are even the most unnatural of sexually immoral, that is homosexual. It's not just those folks. It's even self-righteous good people who are deservingly under the wrath of a righteous God. First thing I want you to see from this text this morning is in verses 1 through 5. God's judgment is inescapable. Now, I told you chapter 2 verse 1 is the corner. We got to back up. We got to kind of go kind of go kind of have to go back around the corner and then we'll come back the other way. We get to see where we're coming from as we turn this corner. So we back up to chapter 1 verse 29. It says there Paul says of the, 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 the pagan world in general, it's true of all of us. By the way, are you, any Jews in the house? So what does that mean we are? We're Gentiles. So that means we've already been addressed in Romans 1, 18 to 32. This is talking about me and you. Here's what it says. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. Y'all been guilty of anything yet? I mean, I have, I'll be honest. And if you hadn't, hang on, you're fixing to be. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty. Anybody ever not been haughty? If you raise your hand, you understand you just, you just sinned in haughtiness. Okay. Haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. I told kids last week, listen up, teenagers, kids, listen, disobedient to parents. This is in the same list with murderers and homosexuals. It's a big deal. And by the way, mom and dad, it's a big deal. 
If you don't make them obey your authority and submit to your authority, how, how are they going to know and understand the majesty of God? Right? Goes on. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. Everybody on the planet knows that. You live in sin, you know that you deserve to die under God's wrath. It's written on your heart. Just the way God inscribed on creation his, his eternal power and glory, and just the way a walk in the woods ought to make you say thanks to the God who gives you life and sustains all things, even, even gives you your breath, so we know he's written it on our hearts what's right and wrong. And we know that those who practice such things deserve to die, but, not, but, but, but they don't just know that. They not only do those things, they give approval to those who practice them, the text says. Chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. You're right in, in saying that person who does these things is sinning and should be judged by God. But the problem is you're doing the same thing, Paul says. Do you suppose, oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness, beautiful verse, is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impotent heart, you're storing up for yourself on the day of wrath, uh, wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. The truth of these verses is very simply this. God's judgment is inescapable. Nobody can hide or outrun or be good enough to avoid the righteous wrath of Almighty God. And by the way, Paul gets this stuff straight from Jesus, doesn't he? Doesn't this sound a whole lot like the Sermon on the Mount? Romans 2, 1 through 5, doesn't it sound a whole lot like the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus said, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven? You know what people knew about the scribes and Pharisees when Jesus said that? He knew they acted religious and were generally good and maybe even better than most people in the society. But you know what else people knew about the scribes and Pharisees? They knew they were hypocrites. Can I just tell you a little secret? If you're a hypocrite, it's no secret. <laughs> if you are self-righteous and yet behind closed doors you're, 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 you're a different person, Somebody knows. The Pharisees, they put on a religious show. But people knew. They watched their lives. They heard what happened behind closed doors with those same guys. And so Jesus says, you've got to understand, you've got to have more righteousness than that to get in the kingdom. Now, can you and I pr produce any righteousness? Are we able to be good? Like all the way perfect, earn the, 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 the standing with God, match up to His holiness. No, the Bible says, and we'll see it later in Romans, all fall short of the glory of God. Nobody. So how do you get righteousness? Well, what Jesus is trying to point to is the fact you've got to have me. You've got to have me. I've got to give you righteousness. He goes on in that same text, you sh you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. 
And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Let me ask you, anybody, if you, if you have, I'm not trying to embarrass anybody, so don't raise your hand. Anybody killed anybody? And see, when we, we hear that and we think, man, well, I'm good. Well, but then Jesus goes on, but I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. <laughs> How many of you have had the heart of a murderer? I have, because I've been angry with somebody before. You have. That's Jesus' point. He goes on down in verse 27. You've heard that it said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Boom. Ouch. Verse 43. And maybe, maybe, this, this, is, maybe this is most applicable in our, in our climate today, in our world. You've heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. In other words, you've got to love your enemies. How many of you can do that on your own? None of us. That's the whole point of the, all the Sermon on the Mount is to drive us to Jesus who became our righteousness for us. Thus, Romans 2, 1 through 5, he's just thinking about the Sermon on the Mount as he writes this part of the letter to Romans. We've sinned in our hearts in ways that no one will ever see except holy God, right? God's judgment is inescapable. Verses 4 and 5 are particularly poignant when Paul says, do you presume? You you think you're going to get away with being a self-righteous hypocrite, a a moral hypocrite? Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that, listen to these beautiful words, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and impotent heart, You're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Now, has Paul got somebody in mind as he writes this letter to the church at Rome? Is there somebody there in the church or affecting the church, teaching, bringing false teaching into the church that that maybe Paul actually knows by name and he's he's, he's including this little section to address this person, this this self-righteous moralist? Perhaps. We don't know. I think it's better just to understand the fact that, that we can all get in this place, right? It's easy to read Romans 1 up to a certain point and think, man, yeah, man, God is angry with those big-time major league centers. I mean, no, yeah, of course. Look what they're doing. I mean, if they're doing that, you better believe you know the wrath of God is being poured out on that. Are, are you tracking with me? And all of a sudden, we kind of begin to pat ourselves back like, I mean, I'm, man, I sure am glad I'm not there. I'm sure glad that way of living is not where I'm at. And this is just Paul's way of saying, hey, don't do that. Don't be that guy. You know the mercy of God. Realize that, that, that it's the kindness of God. That kindness ought to lead even you who may be, a, relatively speaking, compared to some of the parts of culture, you may be a pretty good person. You're still a sinner in need of a Savior, amen? You've still fallen short of the glory of God and you need the grace of God. God's judgment is inescapable, and our only hope is the free grace and kindness 
given to us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, which should move us to acknowledge our sin and guilt before holy God and cry out to him for mercy and grace and forgiveness and the gift of righteousness that he demands from us and will give to us if we'll trust Jesus alone as our righteousness. Somebody may be here today who is a decent person. You've, you've never done anything really bad, but you've never trusted Jesus because you just don't really think you need him. This message is tailored for your heart. Paul wrote this part of the Bible for you. And what I want you to hear is there's a kind God who doesn't consume us in our self-righteous hypocrisy. He writes scripture verses to us and has a preacher on a Sunday morning in 2018 preach them to you so you can hear the kindness and the gentleness and the patience of Almighty God and his patience with you is, is, is extended even this morning. He wants you today to trust in Jesus and to turn from your self-righteousness and admit, I like the whole planet am a sinner in need of a Savior. Justly under the wrath of God, I deserve to be condemned because of my sin against the holiness, the infinite and, 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 and just impeachable holiness of Almighty God. I deserve His wrath, and I need a Savior as much as the foulest of sinners. If that's where you are today, don't miss this opportunity. God's judgment is inescapable. But secondly... It'll pick up a little bit from here. That was the longest point. God's judgment's individual. God's judgment's individual. Verse 6, He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Understand that is the wrath and fury. God. You don't want to be on the receiving end of the wrath or the fury of holy God. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. Chad, what is this talking about? God's judgment is individual. But, but what's he saying? It, it, I mean, it sounds like that salvation is, does salvation come by works? Everything in this whole book is, it goes against that. We go all over the New Testament. We know that we're saved by grace through faith, right? You see, what's, what's this about? Well, salvation's not based on our work, works. This, this, this text is not about salvation. It's about judgment. Are you with me? Salvation is not based on our works, but judgment, according to these verses, Will be. John Piper puts it this way. Would it be a contradiction with the gospel of free and sovereign grace if that gospel were powerful enough that all who truly believed it were radically changed by it and came to heaven on the path of persevering obedience? Would that be a contradiction? This is a quiz. Yes or no? No. If the gospel that saves by free grace is powerful enough to transform our lives so that we walk to heaven on the path of obedience, there's no contradiction in that. And that is, in fact, friends, the gospel. If that were true, then the works that count would be the works of faith. And at the judgment, they would be the evidence of saving faith in Christ. That's Romans 2, 6 through 10 that we just read. And our salvation would accord with them, but not be based on them. 
God does indeed give eternal life to those who persevere in obedience, not because this obedience is perfect or because it's the basis or the merit of eternal life, but because saving faith always changes our lives in the power of the Holy Spirit so that true believers persevere in doing good. In other words, a changed life of obedience to God's truth, verse 8, is not the basis of eternal life, but the evidence of authentic faith which unites us to Christ, who is the basis of eternal life. There will be a way of life that God can put on display to demonstrate to the world that this person's faith was real. Jesus said it this simply. A good tree does what? Produces good fruit. Basic agriculture, right? Basic agriculture. How do you know if you got a good apple tree in LJ, Georgia? Apple Capital. If there's a good apple on that tree, it's a good tree. How do you know if somebody's a believer? Do they live like Jesus? Do they love God with, to the best of their ability, not perfectly, but with all they are? Do they love others as they love themselves? You see, if we've accepted the righteousness of Jesus as a gift and been indwelt by His Spirit, our lives will be transformed and changed more and more into His likeness. We'll change and grow in holiness little by little. Paul refers to this at the end of the chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 26 to 29. We're not going to read it, but there he speaks of how the indwelling Spirit of Christ changes a believer allowing him or her to live differently in holiness. Everybody, everybody okay with us doing a whole theology of the Holy Spirit that when you trust Jesus, it's like we tell our kids, Jesus comes to live in you by his Spirit. Everybody good with that? Y'all agree that's biblical? You think the Spirit of Jesus is going to indwell you and not change you? Does that even make sense? It's not even logical to think that, that he would be present in our lives and not transform us. And so this is what Paul's talking about when he talks about judgment. Judgment will be based on our works. Salvation is not based on our works. But our works will show whether or not we ever receive the gift of grace salvation through faith in Jesus. Whether we've ever been indwelt by the one who died and rose again. And gave his spirit to be our comforter and our our, our helper. It'll show whether we have his presence in our lives. Piper again says, heaven or hell awaits you when you die. That's what those verses are all about. And both will last forever. Has the gospel of God given you the gift of Jesus' righteousness and the indwelling presence of His Spirit who is now transforming your life so that you're living differently and in holiness more and more, little by little? Does that describe your life? That's the the test. If you're no different today than when you made your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, that's a problem. That should scare you. That should make you tremble. Because you don't produce the fruit that a good tree produces. Are you tracking with me? If there's no fruit of the Holy Spirit, there's a chance that the Spirit is not there. And if the Spirit is not there, you will die in your sins under the wrath and fury of Almighty God. 
This text says all of our secrets will be known and judged. Have you let God, by His Holy Spirit, deal with those secrets? You know what I love about the gospel? There's no secret that I've ever had that's too ugly for the grace of God to handle. And I just, I'll be honest with you. Can, you, can, can, can your preacher be this honest? I've got some ugly ones. How about you? Can you, can you? can you be honest with your church today? We got some ugly stuff in here. I do. I, man, what I love about the gospel, and I'm telling you, if it wasn't true, what hope would we have? He knows me fully and loves me completely. There's nothing that I have done or even thought about doing in here that he doesn't know, and yet he has been merciful and gracious even still. Why? Because in Christ, my righteousness is found. God's judgment is individual. All that will matter on that day is whether or not the gospel of God has changed our lives through the righteousness of Christ. Thirdly, and finally this morning, God's judgment is inescapable, it's individual. Thirdly, it's impartial. Verse 11, for God shows no partiality, plays no favorites, has no favoritism. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. He begins to transition in these verses to this, to this discussion of, of, the, uh, of the difference between Jews and Gentiles and, and, and what, what, how they relate to God. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God. Who heard the law? Jews or Gentiles? Who grew up here in the law? Jews. He just looks the Jews in the eye and says, here's the deal. It's not the people that just hear the law that are made righteous by the law in God's sight, but the doers of the law, and, and, and everybody's got a problem doing the law, Paul says. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. God wrote it there. While their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. There is sufficient evidence against every human being to be judged guilty by holy God. Whether they have defied the God-inscribed moral awareness of their hearts and consciences, as with the Gentiles, or whether they have defied specific commandments found, in, found written in the law of God, as with the Jews. Paul's main point here is that God is going to judge everyone, Jews included, by his own holiness, without partiality. You see, the Jews of that day mistakenly believed that because they were God's chosen nation, he simply would not judge them in an eternally damning way, like he would the Gentiles, because after all, they were dogs, far from the holy things of God. Paul says, wrong, wrong. God's judgment is individual and therefore impartial. When you stand before God on that day, it won't matter whether you grew up in church and were never really bad or as bad as other folks you know. Thankfully, God doesn't allow us all to live out the full capacity for sin that we all have. Aren't you thankful for that? I or you may not sin as big as you could possibly sin, but hear me, you and I both have the capacity for sinning as awfully as anyone else in the world. You could become one of the murderers I read to you about of this week. 
apart from Christ and apart from the restraint of the Holy Spirit and the gospel. And Paul is saying, apart from the righteousness of God given to you as a gift through the substitutionary work of Jesus, you will be condemned because no matter the degree, you are guilty before perfectly righteous and holy God. By the way, the fact that God is infinitely perfect and righteous and holy, that is why even a small sin is worth, it, 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 it deserves eternal damnation. Remember our quiz at the beginning of the sermon? Why? Because it's not, it's not the size of the sin. It's the size of the God. It's the holiness of the God against whom you sin. That's why the answer is yes. God's judgment is impartial. John MacArthur says, if this passage teaches anything, it teaches that a redeemed life will produce holy living and that a life that reflects no holy living has no claim on eternal life. Right living, which can only come from right motivation, is the God-given evidence of genuine salvation. Lack of right living is just as certain evidence of lostness. Every person is deservingly under the righteous wrath of God, apart from faith in the gospel of God. But hear me. I said it at the beginning. I'm going to say it all the way through, these, this rough text, this rough two chapters about the wrath of God. Hear me. Paul wrote this letter to make clear the message of the good news of God, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son to live a perfect life in our place, to die the death our sins deserve and endure the wrath of God for us. And then he rose again in victory over sin and death and hell, all so that we might know God as father and never again as judge. Where are you? Have you trusted Jesus for all the righteousness you need before God? And is He transforming your life by His Spirit, changing you more and more, little by little, day by day, into His likeness? This is the gospel of the righteousness of God that saves us from the wrath, the righteous wrath of Almighty God. And Church of Jesus Christ today, what about you? Are you boldly telling the world? Are you, are you eager and unashamed to get the good news out? That there is rescue from a loving and righteous God from the sure wrath of God through simple childlike faith in Jesus Christ. Are you eager and unashamed of that message? Or does your silence reveal your shame when it comes to the gospel message? It's like you're embarrassed by this Jesus because your silence proves you, you don't talk about him. Which is it? This is the gospel. And it's great news. There's a holy God and there's wrath because of that. It has to be. He cannot be holy and not be just. He cannot be holy and just and not punish your sin and mine as it deserves in comparison to his holiness. But this same God who demands righteousness from us and we can't give it gives us all the righteousness we'll ever need in Jesus Christ if we'll just take it as a gift. Let's pray together.